This is the Late Round Podcast with your host, JJ Zacharisa. What's up, everyone? It's JJ Zacharyson, the editor-in-chief at FanDuel and at NumberFire.com, and this is episode 337 of the Late Round Podcast, one of many shows that are part of the FanDuel Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. I know this is an NFL podcast, but we're in the offseason, and I'm sure some of you care about the NBA. Now, don't worry, I'm not making this an NBA show, but I do want to let you know that FanDuel has partnered with the NBA to make this year's World Fantasy Basketball Championship the biggest and most exciting fantasy event ever. Just win a WFBBC Live Final Qualifier Contest to claim a guaranteed share of $2.5 million in prizes, and you can stamp your ticket to LA in March. For more details, visit FanDuel.com or download the FanDuel app today. Eligibility restrictions apply. The first question this week is from at Mr. Dunlow on Twitter. What's the perfect starting lineup format and bench size for a 12-team redraft league? I know there's not a single correct answer, but just wondering your opinion. Yeah, so I'm always going to be on the side of having more players in your starting lineup. So more flex spots and more starters overall. And the main reason is because I think that teams who have the depth should be rewarded for having that depth. You can make the argument that start-sit decisions are the most important part of fantasy football, or one of the most important. And if that's the case, then there's no need to make the lineup larger. At least that's the argument. Because with a smaller lineup, you're making more important start-sit decisions. You're making decisions with better players. But I think that argument is kind of BS. Because it's not like I'm not making tough decisions with lower-tiered players in my second flex spot. The start-sit decision is always going to be there. But with more flex spots, teams who drafted more efficiently are then rewarded for how they drafted. Now, the next question is pretty related to the one that I just answered, and it's from at PeoplesChamp515 on Twitter. JJ, can we please make Superflex along with half PPR and half point per rushing or receiving first down the fantasy football industry standard for scoring? Well, first off, I definitely don't have the ability to change the entire industry's standard way of scoring. I have my opinions, but analysts aren't the ones who are going to make those changes. We need the bigger platforms like Yahoo and ESPN to change the standard lineup first. But yeah, I think Superflex should be the norm. We need to make quarterbacks more valuable during the draft. I'm not one of those people who thinks that fantasy football has to mirror real football. Because it never will. It's not like fantasy football is some variation of football. It's a game about football. It shouldn't have to be identical to what we watch on a football field. So from that perspective, I'm cool with the fact that running backs matter in fantasy football, but they don't all that much in real football. I actually prefer it, and I think that our goal when setting up leagues is to try and make each position of equal importance, or to give them the perception of having equal importance, because it allows for differentiation with draft strategy. Instead of everyone just pounding running backs and wide receivers early, it would be great to see more quarterbacks and tight ends. This whole idea of fantasy having to relate to real football relates to scoring too. I generally think that people make way too big of a deal about scoring in fantasy football. I do think that we should try to make scoring more interesting to help solve our problem of getting more positions into the early rounds of drafts, like tight end premium. But I don't really care what that looks like. Like, first downs matter in real football. I don't think it needs to matter in fantasy football. You're playing a game, and your goal is to find trends and figure out how to win that game. The game's rules can be anything as long as the game is fun. Now, maybe this is a lame answer, but the general idea is that I would love for the fantasy football world to just try to make quarterbacks and tight ends more relevant. The Scott Fishbowl has done a really good job of this over the last couple of years. 
This next question is an email from Chris. And by the way, during the off season, I am taking emails for this mailbag show. You can email me at jj at numberfire.com. But the question says, what about your 2019 processes do you review before going into 2020? For example, in drafting your team, do you look at specific players you may have been too high on? Or do you take an even further step back and look at the construction as a whole, like too many running backs and wide receivers? So I do a few things after a season's over. The first thing is that I pinpoint my bad teams and ask what went wrong. Why was this team bad? Generally speaking, I can find that answer through player evaluation. I lucked out and I didn't have a ton of Odell Beckham this year. And I say that I lucked out because it was really pretty lucky. I wasn't super high on him, but I definitely wasn't avoiding him. But in one league where I did have him, I paired him with Juju Smith-Schuster. And I didn't make the playoffs in that league, even though I hit on Austin Eckler, who was one of the best values in fantasy this season. I know that historically, it's tough for teams to do well when they get very little production from their first two picks. So it's not surprising as to why that team did poorly. So I can go team by team and do that exercise. But at a higher level, once January hits, so right now, I start collecting some more data to find trends. I'll do shows on some of those trends throughout the offseason, but I want to see if certain strategies are still viable. And if what happened in the current year was just an outlier or not. You guys might remember the 2015 season where the running back position was a complete wasteland. It was a dumpster fire. Like more than usual. That forced a lot of fantasy managers to take more of a zero RB approach the following year. But that wasn't really necessary because 2015 was sort of an outlier. Now I've got nothing against zero RB. I just mean going zero RB as a reaction to one singular season. That wasn't a good idea. Now let's go back to the draft where I took Juju and OBJ. I very easily could walk away with the idea that starting drafts with two wide receivers is a bad call. But I also know that over a larger sample size, this outcome likely wouldn't have happened. It's just an unfortunate first couple of picks. And for those wondering, no, I don't always go with two or three wide receivers to start a draft. It's just how this particular draft unfolded. When it comes to roster construction, I think the majority of people listening to this probably play in very standard leagues. I'd say about 80% of my leagues are the typical fantasy format. So I don't have to really focus on roster construction there as much since there's only so much that you can do. If I struggled in a league with funky scoring and formatting, though, then I'll probably do a deep dive and figure out why. I'll look at the successful teams in that league, look at what I did, and try to find the obvious spots where I effed up. Sometimes I find out that it was just schedule luck. Sometimes I realize that I really missed on a ton of players. And sometimes I realize that I didn't weigh certain scoring criteria the right way. But that's really what I do when reflecting on a fantasy season. I'm comparing my projections to the actual results, I'm seeing which players I missed on and why, and I'm looking at the weird leagues that I'm in to see if I got unlucky or if I missed something important with the formatting. But I think the overall thing that I do is that I focus on the bad teams rather than the good ones. I still look at my good teams. I love looking at my championship teams. But I'm more interested in what went wrong than what went right because usually what went right was because of a sound process. This next question is from at Pell 316. Who are the bigger buy low, sell high candidates in Dynasty based off of 2019 performances? OBJ is too obvious to include. So I wanted to leave this question on today's show because I'll be doing two podcasts later this month and early next month on buy and sell candidates. So like I've been saying, don't unsubscribe from the show. This next question is from at NeziTweets83. Who are the prime touchdown regression candidates that we should avoid slash target in the dynasty offseason? 
So I won't necessarily tell you that you should target and avoid these guys, but I did think that this question gave me the opportunity to talk about some of the biggest touchdown overachievers and underachievers this year. According to yards to touchdown conversions, the biggest overachievers were Aaron Jones, Todd Gurley, Mark Ingram, and Derrick Henry. They each scored at least 6.4 touchdowns more than they should have, and that's based solely on their rushing and receiving yardage totals. As always, this statistic needs context. It's just a way to quickly see who scored more and less than they should have since yards correlate well to touchdowns. Each of those running backs had better than average opportunity to find the end zone. That helps. But even still, I'd expect each one to score fewer touchdowns next season than they did this year, unless they see more volume. And it's not like yards to touchdowns is the only conversion or metric that's pointing these players out. According to ESPN Mike Clay's Opportunity Adjusted Touchdown Metric, or OTD, Aaron Jones scored nine more touchdowns than he should have this year. And that's a lot more detailed of a metric than just looking at yards to touchdowns. But yards to touchdowns also has him at nine more touchdowns. OTD actually didn't like Derrick Henry more than yards to touchdowns did. And Christian McCaffrey, Mark Ingram, and Todd Gurley are all up there too. It's not like the two lists don't correlate at all. Now, on the other side of things, there's Leonard Fournette, Darren Waller, Robert Woods, Travis Kelsey, and Mike Williams. All of those names are shared with OTD as well. Now, I wouldn't necessarily just automatically call each of those players buy or sell candidates. What determines a buy or sell is the market. So when I talk about the candidates on shows later this month, I'll be looking at ADP, not just whether they over or underachieved in the touchdown column. This next question is from at the Salvi man. How do you increase the value of quarterbacks in a draft without adding a quarterback roster spot? First time listening during the offseason. Thanks for your research and entertainment. Hey, thanks. So from a value-based drafting standpoint, you could just make everything count a lot more. Hypothetically, if a quarterback touchdown counted for 100 points, then I'd want a quarterback who's projected to throw a lot of touchdowns. I'd want Patrick Mahomes. Because then your fantasy lineup would basically come down to how well your quarterback did. I don't know where that balance is, though. This sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier, where I want all positions to be important during a fantasy draft because it enables a lot more strategy across teams. In order to find that break-even point, there's going to be some testing. You need to test it. And you really can't just look at end-of-season results and do that testing either. It's sort of like one of the issues that I have with value-based drafting. You can say this quarterback was X points better than this baseline quarterback, but figuring out baselines can be tough. And they'll vary league by league, depending on how frequently teams in your league like stream the quarterback position. You make the assumption that the baseline player is static, but it's actually dynamic. It's going to change a lot league by league. But the answer to your question is to make the scoring more dramatic. I just haven't done any of the testing to see what that scoring should be in order to make quarterbacks more important in your draft. This next question is from Maurice. It says, hi, JJ, huge fan, longtime reader, late round QB for life. Got a question for you. I know that Lamar's regression is real and coming, especially his insane touchdown rate. But traditionally, touchdown rate is calculated by pass attempts or by passing yards. If you rearrange it to equal total yards, what would his expected touchdown total be? Better yet, if you calculated how many rushing yards quarterbacks get per touchdown, what would the expectation be? I know a bunch of loaded math questions here, but I just think that Lamar picking up yards with his legs and then throwing the touchdowns is skewing his ridiculously high touchdown rate. Am I missing something here? Thank you, Maurice. So the touchdown rate that I refer to on this show, and it's traditionally what touchdown rate means for quarterbacks, is touchdowns divided by attempts. And it's a number that regresses year over year. 
Some players will be better than the average, but when there are outlier seasons, it's very difficult for quarterbacks to just repeat that performance and touchdown rate year over year over year. It's best to approach this question by separating rushing and passing. Only focus on his passing production. On the year, Jackson had a 9% touchdown rate. Among all quarterbacks with 300 pass attempts in a single season in NFL history, and there's a lot of them, that's tied for the second highest rate ever. Only Peyton Manning in 2004 had a higher touchdown rate. I've done a lot of work on touchdown rates in the past, including a lot of talk about it on last year's regression podcast. But here's just a quick reference to help understand how frequent regression is. Before the 2019 season started and since 2011, so 2011 through the 2018 season, we've had 14 quarterback seasons with 200 or more attempts and a touchdown rate of 7% or higher. Of those quarterbacks, none had a touchdown rate higher the following year. And that's at 7%. Lamar Jackson is at 9%. We shouldn't bet on Lamar Jackson to maintain this pace. There will almost certainly be regression. The question shouldn't be, will there be regression? Because it's likely. It's not a certainty, but it's likely. The question we should be asking is, how much regression? And that, I think, is what you're getting at here, Maurice. It's the question of how much. I'd say that he has an advantage with what he can do with his legs and that extending drives creates more points. And more points means more opportunity for scoring touchdowns. But even if that's the case, he's still throwing more touchdowns than he should have. In your question, you ask if what he's doing with his legs is skewing his touchdown rate. And the answer is not necessarily. Because realistically, some of those passing touchdowns can just be converted to rushing touchdowns in future seasons. Maybe that would help Lamar Jackson score more rushing touchdowns, but we also shouldn't just assume that Baltimore is going to be this efficient offensively year over year over year. But even if we project Lamar Jackson to have a 6-7% touchdown rate next season, and if he has the same number of pass attempts, that'll drop his passing touchdown total by almost 10. The thing is, unlike other quarterbacks who have been set to regress in the past, He has his baseline of rushing. So in 2020 and beyond, I wouldn't expect him to give you as big of an edge as he did this year, but he should still be a QB1, the QB1, and he'll still give you some edge from a projection standpoint. That's going to do it for today's show, though. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you've yet subscribed to the Late Round Podcast, make sure you are by searching for it pretty much anywhere podcasts can be found. And remember, you can now submit questions to me for this mailbag show at jj at numberfire.com. And then obviously, you can send them on Twitter as well, where you can find me at LateRoundQB. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy your weekend, and I'll talk to you early next week.